The biography of Mr. H is well known. He had one wife and one son, and that was the beginning and the end of his capacity for love. Excepting, of course, the copper load in Peru, gold prospects in the Dakota territories, the Idaho opal mine, and other pursuits I cannot tell you about as they are beyond my ken. Most everyone grants he was a kingly fellow, else the blue would not have showed itself to him. That is a wholly peculiar way of thinking, but it is very common. This is the truth of it. Flush and jangle with silver and possessed of a powerful tooth for both spending and procuring more of whatever glittered under the ground, Mr. H. traveled to the Montana Territory on a horse so new and fine, her tail squeaked. He disliked to travel in company, being a secretive man by nature. Mr. H. had a witch's own knack for sniffing out what the earth had to give up. The notion of a sapphire rush brewing in the Beartooth Range pricked up the north of that Comstock compass stuck in his heart. All the way out in San Francisco, he felt the rumble of the shine. However, upon his arrival in Billings and establishment at the Bear Gulch Hotel, the whiskey talk leaned another way, black diamonds. That is how coal miners appellate their livelihood. In my experience, folk find it nigh on impossible to call a thing what it is. It never mattered much to Mr. H whether silver or sapphires or coal or copper weighed his pockets, just so long as he never walked empty. He made his arrangements to accompany a pair of Cornishmen into the range the next morning. He strode out into the bone-cracking cold to survey the town, though Billings in those days could barely be called more than a camp. Horseshit outnumbered honest men by a margin. Mr. H. encountered the woman who would be his first wife by chance alone. She turned up like an ace of spades in the general store, trading elk meat for cotton cloth and buttons. Her brother, who had shot the beast, escorted her. But the girl did the bargaining. She had good English and did not like the owner of the general store. The terrible, covetous heart of Mr. H. immediately conceived a starvation for the girl not lesser in might than his thirst for sapphires or gold. In the lamplight, her hair had the very color of coal, plaited in two long braids and swept up at the brow into what I have heard called a pompadour. Her dark mouth was a cut garnet, her skin rich copper, her eyes black diamonds for true. She looked over her shoulder at him, and her body hardened to run if such became necessary. Mr. H. took this slight stiffening as a sign that his feeling was returned. He saw no reason any person should fear him, being well-dressed and pleasant enough in his features. He had loved women already in his time, though never married. All of them of good, though not old, family. Square-shouldered, sunburned freckles and kisses like milk and hair brushed a hundred times before bed. He savored a rich seam of shame over his lust for the crow woman, and this shame made him only more needful. Mr. H. purposed himself to have her. He inquired after her name, her family, how often she visited the town to trade, where she and hers might make their camp. The bare-tooth coal ran thick and deep, but he did his business by rote. Mr. H. had sung his song many times. It sang itself. His true occupation was now the striking of the crow woman, whose name was Gun That Sings.
At first, his imagination wakened only to the possibility of bedding her. He saw no reason this should not be possible, and right quick. Silver speaks louder than sin. But when Gun That Sings returned to town with her relations, and Mr. H had opportunity to clap eyes on her again, he knew he could not be satisfied except to own her entirely. A man don't rent a silver mine. He buys it right out.